0: Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. We have a really special show today. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Chip Barber. He's the director of the Forest Legality Initiative here at the World Resources Institute. Chip, welcome to the show. Good to be here. And Austin Close, he is the tone wood specialist about what you're going to be hearing more momentarily here at WRI. Austin, welcome to the show. Good to be here. I'm saying this is a special show because we record audio here, but rarely do we actually have a musical instrument in the house. And today, Chip, you're kind enough to have brought along your guitar because what we're going to be talking about is how to build a sustainable guitar, something that Austin has written about extensively. We have a list of six blog posts here, everything from ebony and maple to rosewood, spruce, and mahogany, but also why guitars and sustainable guitars could be a key into protecting forests worldwide. Before we get into that, I think that one thing you're gonna hear about is something called the Lacey Act. So I wanna get this sort of dry stuff out of the way. Chip, what is the Lacey Act, and why does it matter to protecting the world forests?
1: Well, back when the century ago, uh, the Lacey Act was passed one of the first wildlife conservation measures in the United States to protect birds. Birds were being overhunted and it banned interstate commerce in illegally harvested birds. And it's covered animals for some, uh, for some years. In 2008, um, this was extended um, to include all, all plants, including timber. So this was a really big change. Suddenly it became a crime in the United States to import or possess any wood that was illegally harvested in the country of origin or even across state boundaries in the United States. Um, This was a big change for industry in the U.S., and they had to adapt to it.
0: Now, why would that happen? There's all kinds of things we'd like to protect in the world, uh, and industry blocks us. How come in this case they were able to get a law saying no illegally harvested wood?
1: Well, there's been concern about the world's forests and deforestation probably since at least the 1970s or 1980s, and all these policies and international agreements were put in place over the years, but people were getting around them. There's a lot of illegal logging in different parts of the world, particularly in the tropics. Um, and it became the focus of a lot of concern maybe 15 years ago, and one of the big concerns was that. Well, the countries that are importing this stuff aren't doing anything about it. You can go and beat up on the people in the Amazon or in the Congo Basin, but if those who are buying the wood are not doing something about keeping out the illegal stuff, it's not really going to work. And it was an interesting coalition that helped to amend the Lacey Act um, back about 2006, 2007. It included people in U.S. industry who saw a threat from cheap, illegally sourced wood coming from other places, and people on the environmental side who saw legal wood as a really good kind of a platform for promoting a broader image of more sustainable forest management and reducing deforestation.
0: So you've got the Lacey Act saying you can't import illegally harvested wood. How do we get from that to sustainable sustainable guitars?
1: Well, as chance would have it, one of the first cases, the first notable case that came up under this 2008 amendment um, occurred after a raid on the Gibson Guitar Company. This involved uh, rosewood from India and ebony from Madagascar.
0: Now, I'm not a musician at all, but even I know Gibson, right? I mean, they're the yes, big, they big are. name in guitars. Everybody knows Gibson.
1: Yes, exactly. They're they're a very well known, large, large guitar company that f- very fine instruments. Um, and there was a raid. It became very political. You may remember there were. Uh, this became seen as a case of government overreach on one side. On others, it was finally putting some teeth behind these laws. There was eventually, in that case, a settlement, and um, they put some measures in place at the Gibson Guitar Company. But this set a tremor through the whole guitar industry, I think, and the musical instruments industry, that they had to pay attention to where their wood was coming from. Uh, In 2013, Madagascar's wood was put all off limits. It's rosewoods and ebony's completely by an international agreement, the convention on international trade and endangered species. Madagascar rosewood is amongst uh, the most Highly prized of the Tonewoods. and Austin will talk about that. Many large companies um, in this country have big stocks of this stuff, you know, there, um, you know, on hand. So it became an issue they really had to think about. And people think more about their guitars and maybe where they came from and what they're made out of than perhaps they think about, you know, the two by fours in their house. It's a little more personal the relationship we have. So, so
0: them. I'm imagining though that that globally the share of illegally harvested tropical Hardwoods that winds up in musical instruments—it's got to be 0.00 something. I mean, it's the amount of wood you need to make one of these things is not very much. So, why focus on musical instruments?
1: Well, I think as, as a a subsector, there's, I said, you know, as I was saying before, the one reason is that um, this first case happened to be about musical instruments. Um, a second one is that an instrument is something people look at more and relate to. It's it's more close to them maybe than some other wood products. The third thing is the musicians play these things. We care about what musicians do. Um, We have a culture of celebrity, so when they either speak out against against illegal logging or deforestation or they promote a certain kind of wood or they're seen playing a guitar. When Taylor Swift started playing guitars made out of Hawaiian koa, which is a wood I think Austin will talk about, a very beautiful hardwood, um, Koa's popularity just exploded because everyone saw her in videos and on TV playing. Well, was that,
0: that good or bad? Is
1: it sustainably managed since it's in Hawaii? Um, oh, H- Hawaiian koa is is a pretty interesting story, and yeah, I, I think it was basically good um, for the most part. Good. Yeah, <laughs> for the most part good. Anytime something I- you know becomes a fad or a craze, there's a chance of it being overexploited and um, and things like that. But I think that's why the instruments get so much attention and punch above their weight. Um, there are also things that people carry across borders. There's just been a recent decision of this, uh, I mentioned the Convention on International Trade and in Endangered Species. Just in October, they made all, basically put all rosewood worldwide on their list of controlled woods. It can still be traded, but it needs paperwork. And so this is a, even a, another major shockwave for the musical instruments industry, not only because of manufacture and export and import, but because, because people... Uh, symphony orchestras, uh, musicians carry instruments across borders. So people are wondering I've got this $10,000 guitar, I go on tour to Europe, am I going to be able to bring it back in legally into the United States? Can I take it out of the country? Um, so there's been a lot of focus and concern about that.
0: Well. I want to bring in Austin here. Before we started the uh, show, Austin, you and Chip were telling me about how you came to be working at WRI, and I like to imagine that some of our listeners are maybe a year or two behind you. They're interested in sustainability, maybe interested in music. Tell me the story of how you wound up here. Uh, Austin's title is tone wood Specialist. And I saw that as like, <laughs> what? I didn't even know we had a Tonewood Specialist. I didn't even know what tone woods were before I learned that they're a subset right. of precious woods. Yeah. How did you wind up doing this sort of rarefied work?
2: Uh, yeah, few people are aware of it and that actually was, that played to my advantage pretty well. I wrote my thesis in college about about tone woods in part, but primarily about guitar construction and trade, uh, and looking at it through the lens of international trade, primarily. So, I came at it with that approach, and some of it was obviously involving the international, the environmental community. And I saw a job listing <laughs> at WRI. I was scrolling through because it's very well known. Scrolling through and found a job listing uh, that was absolutely perfect about tone woods and. First thought, I might be the only person that actually applies to this, uh, but then ended up actually getting the position and spent six months dedicating all my time to. So you thought
0: this job was made for me.
2: Yeah, it really, it really kind of was. Um, I mean, very few people devote <laughs> all of their time to it and also have a background in. I'm classically trained, and so very few people have that uh, unique stance to look at something. So.
0: so, so Chip, you're a musician as well as an expert in. Uh, forest legality and illegal uh, woods um, what gave you the idea to go and search I mean it's almost like there was just one person in the world that could really do this job and you found him but what made you think there was a person out there that was going to be interested in woods and be a musician who knew how to build a guitar well I see
1: this the first stage of a bigger project basically that working on and still raising funds for anyone who's interested out there um, to do a book and a film series, basically looking at telling the story of the world's forests through a guitar. And we've actually built that guitar. It'll be delivered in February. Uh, I designed it. I'm not building it. A very good guitar company is building it. But um, And we've gone back as far as when I was very little. first guitar I ever played was built by a guy named Ignacio Fleta, who is, uh, was my mom's guitar. I don't know how she got in her head. She wanted a guitar from this guy. Just to give you an idea, now if you go look for an early 1960s Fleta guitar. It's a classical guitar. It's about $75,000 if you can find one. And there are how many years behind people who are ordering guitars from his uh, 23 years. 23 years behind. <laughs> right now, there's a wait list. And my first conscious memory was going to Barcelona, Spain, being in um, his workshop for getting this guitar, which is built of Brazilian rosewood, which has a very distinctive smell. I don't know how to describe it. It's a very... and I grew up with a smell. It's the first guitar I learned how to play. I think that's why I liked the guitar. I didn't realize at the time I was playing such A valuable beautiful instrument and um, have just always been fascinated with 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 the woods and the tones and i thought working on illegal logging as we do in our program here and partnering with uh, organizations like martin guitar and breedlove guitar and taylor guitar who are concerned about how to clean their supply chains of legal and unsustainable wood that there was an interesting story to tell here that would that would connect the forests the people who protect them the people who build beautiful instruments out of it, and then in the end, the people who play them and get them to speak as well about how they see the relationship. So, um, you know, think of it a bit like um, my nephew is in the film industry and has been helping me with this. He says, it's like Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown meets Rolling Stone. We are here with Johnny Depp in the jungles of Madagascar with a famous local musician. So it's part travelogue, part environmental awareness, part sort of, Music gear, porn with expensive guitars and things like that, and that's sort of one. I'm not sure it's a WRI project, to be quite honest about that, but but I, I think <laughs> it's going to happen. Well, it's out
0: there. I want yeah. anybody who might have money to put into this wonderful <laughs> yeah. film project to pay attention and contact Chick Barber at WRI. But so a
1: more practical thing, because it really connects to our work that we're doing on musical instruments supply chains, was was to begin to dig deeper into the particular woods here, and so that was that was um, how we got this. First little project going, and hopefully it will lead to bigger things. That's the plan.
0: So I'm I'm looking at the list of uh, woods here, Austin, that you mm-hmm. wrote about: ebony, <coughs> maple, koa. We touched on the Hawaiian koa a little bit. Right. Rosewood, spruce, and mahogany. Pick one. Tell me about it. Why does it matter? Why is it interesting?
2: The first uh, what we kicked off the series with was talking about cypress spruce, uh, which. A lot of Sitka Spruce is cut from the Tongass National Forest in southeast Alaska. So it's one of those domestic woods, which is pretty rare because the guitar industry as a whole, as Chip was mentioning, the guitar industry is a good uh, entry point into the larger world of forestry, but the guitar industry more than others is really dependent on exotic tropical timbers.
0: They're harder and denser.
2: Yeah, but people also care about the woods, which they might not in a certain way if it's about their house or their dresser. Everyone likes to say they have a nice, rich mahogany dresser or something, but it's less of a big deal than guitar geeks who will sit and argue about species of mahogany. Uh, So we started with Sitka Spruce because that's currently a big policy debate going on, whether or not you can allow clear-cutting because this national forest in in Alaska allows clear-cutting of these old, old trees, and these are old-growth forests. So some of the trees, I mean, they're massive, and some of them are over 400, 500 years old and we're clear cutting entire sections of this and a lot of it is being shipped away as construction timber but some of it is making its way into guitars. I was gonna
0: say, I mean, if you wanted to just say, okay, we can only cut it for musical instruments, you could cut, they're big, 10 trees a year, it becomes sustainable. It's when you're shipping it off for construction in China that you are gonna decimate the the force. The real number is
2: actually fairly close to that uh, in all reality for the U.S. guitar industry. So. And that's, that's the big issue because guitars in particular need this old growth forest because they have grown over such a long time that their growth rings are so close that they have really, really tight spacing. And that fiber works in such a way that it makes the guitar sound a lot better than if they had wider trees, if, they, if the tree had grown up in 30 years, uh, which happens more in, in a less, more sparsely populated forest. So that's the issue now. It's not only endangering that forest right now, but it's also endangering the wood that's going to be grown in that forest because they're not going to be old growth forest for quite a long time. So we started with that. It's a it's a good entry point. And one of our longtime partners, uh, Bedell Guitars and Breed Love Guitars, they're st- running and starting a petition and campaign to end clear cutting in the Tongass National Forest.
0: I see. So that was going to say your policy recommendation would come down to no more clear cutting, but let us cut a few now and then for guitars. This is to to say this is very valuable wood for specialized uses. You don't actually want to use it Well, and for specialized
1: uses, they can get what they need from salvage trees, as they call them, those that have fallen down naturally. You can make a heck of a lot of tops of guitars. Um, And this is wood mainly which is used exclusively for the soundboard, the top piece of the guitar Mm -hmm. that's most important for the sound. You know, um, it's the massive quantities going out. So it's in some parts a symbolic connection. It's not.
0: So you're leveraging the interest in the guitar to say, let's not clear cut these forests because they produce yeah, this and wonderful wood. Get right. these need other g- for instruments.
1: Other guitar companies to say, we too are not going to use this after a certain time. Mm-hmm. The, you know, grandfather in the old wood that they may be holding in, you know, in storage. Right. Because these are people who think for the long term. Martin Guitar has been around what 183 years. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. David, they're on in the sixth generation of people. So they think nothing of putting down wood that they might be using in 40 or 50 years from now. So there are stockpiles of these precious woods.
0: Tell me about um, ebony, Austin. I read the ebony blog, and one of the things I remembered is that everybody, of course, we think of ebony, it's it's a, it's a, a word for black, but right. in fact, there's striped ebony and there's ebony with other colors has been, until recently, wasted.
2: Yeah, and currently where most of the ebony is coming from in Cameroon, uh, the vast majority of the ebony trees actually are striped. Um, So previously, a lot of the wood coming out of Madagascar was pure black and that's that's kind of the image that we have with it. I mean, it was used in the black keys of pianos right next to ivory for years and years. So that's the idea we have of it and, and that can be true in certain cases, but currently out of Cameroon and Gabon in particular, the ebony that's coming out is largely striped and a good partner of ours, Taylor Guitars, They went and they actually bought an ebony mill in Cameroon and were talking to the loggers and realized that one out of ten trees in that area actually had the pure black wood. And those are the only ones that were worth anything to the loggers because they would pay triple or quadruple (laughs) the price. And the striped ebony trees were usually deemed as not even worth taking out of the forest. And the only way to tell is after you've cut the tree down. Oh no. So so you're literally wasting 90% of an endangered species watching it rot on the floor because, frankly, because the U.S. guitar market wants pure black fretboards. Uh, So that's a little bit hard to stomach sometimes, but then Taylor in particular has made big strides towards using striped ebony, and the younger generation of players is really actually used to it, and a lot of people find it really beautiful. We didn't know, frankly, we didn't know it was an option before. Everyone thought that it was black, Uh, and they act the exact same on a guitar. It's just a pure aesthetic choice, but it's Hard to shift people's tendencies and to shift traditions over time.
0: So in this case, you're increasing the sustainability of the forest by broadening the range of what's acceptable to the consumers. Yeah, of to course, the, to the musicians in this case, uh, to utilize something that otherwise would have been wasted. Right, and that's that's it. With
2: with hardwoods like with difficult woods to source like ebony, there's always a discussion of reform or revolutions. So there are certain groups that are completely going away from Ebony. So Gibson Guitars and Martin Guitars, in part, on some of their models, they use what's basic it's a hard plastic. It's a lot like uh, Formica countertops, actually. And it works perfectly on their guitars. Most people wouldn't really know the difference because Ebony is such a strange wood as it is (laughs) that it acts almost more like a plastic sometimes. You want it to be so hard and uh, really not have any pores in it. Be pure black. So some people are taking that approach. They're taking the revolution approach. Others, like Taylor Guitars, are saying, hey, we have this natural material that we can use efficiently, we can really maximize uh, our yields and improve our machinery to make sure we get more out of the trees that we're cutting, and we can also use, shift taste within the consumers to kind of adapt to the new reality of the forest, which is, frankly,
0: striped wood. And a broader dialogue that you two are both very familiar with, some of our listeners may know, is that if you want to protect the forest, you need to create an incentive for the people who live in the forests to protect it so if you go completely as you call right. the revolution way and you go to plastics it's like okay well we're not going to be able to sell this for yes it's musical instruments anymore but right. we're still gonna sell it we're still gonna cut it so. it's, it's, yeah, very maybe unlikely.
1: Less. it's very unlikely people are going to say yeah no one wants our wood anymore so we'll put it we'll make it a national park it will probably be cleared for agriculture and so finding ways to give value particularly to some of these high-value low-volume woods is it's important and the tastes are changing we were out looking um, with our partner this summer who's building this guitar I was talking about, and he's building guitars out of completely lesser known species. There are quite a few of them around that are um, quite interesting, and Austin and I are both going to the National Association of Music Merchants meeting, um, the annual meeting in January, which is where everyone who buys and sells anything related to music is there, hundreds, 100,000 people, I think. Um, Yeah, it's massive. And one of the things I'm very interested to do in interviewing and going around there is to look at what are people thinking about some of the lesser known woods that are more common. Um, Oregon myrtle wood. we were playing some guitars, beautiful guitars, I mean these are not cheap guitars either, but it's not a wood that anyone has ever really made a lot of guitars out of in the past. It's it's local, it's plentiful, Um, and there is a new generation of people, I I sort of analogize it to, think of all the new kind of American whiskeys which are popping up, which would be anathema to someone who believes in a traditional bourbon or a Scotch whiskey, people are just experimenting and doing things. And you've got a younger generation of people who, who like that. It doesn't have to taste exactly like, you know, Right, so I've got this Oban. really cool guitar yeah.
0: that's made out of wood that you've never heard of, right? Right, and right, so and I it's got
1: a great sound. And if you play things, the thing about, I think about guitars a lot, the more expensive ones at least, is they are visual as well as the sound. People buy them. Um, you don't pay $75,000 usually for... The sound, you're paying for all the inlaid snakes and things like that, or the great patterns on it, or things like that. If you were to sit, and we want to do this actually as part of this project, and play a whole number of guitars blindfold and see which one sounded best to you, and then play the same guitars, not blindfolded, and make that same list, it would be very, very different. I think, because I know that people are physically attracted to it. It's just the, the, the physical attributes of the wood can be as important as It's, it's like known. the famous
0: wine tasting, the Freakonomics exactly. work right. on the wine tasting, right? right? The exactly. The $400 bottles taste better than the $8 mm-hmm. bottles, unless you don't know how much they unless cost. Unless you don't know <laughs> You know, exactly.
1: And so there's, there's, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on as well. But that being said, that is part of the value of what they are. They are, at a certain level, works of art. They're not just musical instruments that you play tunes on.
0: So, I think we am going to wrap this up soon. I have a parting question for each of you. I'd like you to think about. It. I'm going to ask Chip to go first and then ask Austin. I'm interested in questions of scale and leverage from the musical instrument business to wider sustainability of forests and we you know, part of it's a teaching mechanism, part of it may be is economics, but could you imagine a world in which you were totally successful in transforming the production of musical instruments so they were all sustainable, and yet the forests were still disappearing. Or is that world not possible because there are so many linkages between the production of musical instruments that would have positive spin-offs that would protect the forests, and what are some of those linkages? I think we all get it that a sustainable guitar is really cool, people will pay a premium for it, it can have an educational benefit, but what's the, what are some of the levers that I'm missing as to why I would want to put a lot of energy into sustainable musical instruments as a way to protect forests worldwide?
1: Well, I'd say two things. One is that it's a vehicle to get people to think about how the things that they use and value in their daily life were created and where they came from. Um, when you start to think about... Um, ebony or rosewood and you start to think about the places that they come from maybe you'll get a little more conscious of the general situation of forests and people in whether it's Brazil or Indonesia or wherever it is so that's i think one thing and that's useful second is that this is already happening to a certain degree in some other fields people do think about this when they are buying hardwood flooring there's been a it was a big case under the Lacey Act that, that involved uh, lumber liquidators. Got in a lot of trouble last year, and part of that was illegal timber. They also got in trouble around formaldehyde and the glue of their laminated flooring. People begin to think that flooring is killing their children. They want to buy it, you know. So I think that there are other areas where people are thinking about this in the same way they think about where does my cocoa come from or my, you know, my
0: shade-grown coffee, fair shade-grown coffee. So
1: there's a range of people wanting to know where things come from? Is my oil palm product that I'm buying killing orangutans or not a range or things like that? So it is beginning to happen and I mean this is just a um, fairly high profile you know easy win in some ways because I think you have a lot of the companies that make musical instruments, stringed instruments who actually care a lot about this because they care about this as part of their brand you know that might not necessarily be the case for everyone selling 2x4s at Home Depot you know so it's a, it's a place to start and then expand out from
0: Austin, your thoughts on leverage from the sustainable guitar to the preservation of the forest?
2: I think, like I said before, guitars are more than anything a good entry point for people interested in sustainable guitars. And and like Chip said, people are becoming more aware and any conscious consumption that we can promote is, is beneficial in that certain way. But the guitar industry is such a small subsect of the environmental world, largely, but then even of timber, that I think it has such specific parameters that I think it can teach lessons in sustainable forest management and in supply chain vetting and cleaning up your supply chains. I I think it can provide a certain example for other industries, maybe in timber, maybe elsewhere, but it has such specific parameters for what can be used and it's also so tradition-driven and so integrated into the culture, and really kind of pervades everything you do. In almost every household, there's, there is probably or maybe one day, a cheap little acoustic guitar. It's not uncommon to be sitting around a campfire, and strumming an acoustic guitar. And what hopefully happens as guitar as guitar makers and guitar players start to think more and more about it, they start to wonder what the difference is between the guitar and the chunk of wood they're holding in their hand. And the chunk of wood sitting in the fire, and people start making those connections. I think, especially with something so personal. So on a personal level, it makes that difference. On a market level, it makes a certain different, certain difference because they can provide a snapshot into really what you can do if you're forced to, or if your competitors are doing so, and you're and you're forced to that way, or you're simply trying to lead the charge because of your own personal convictions on it.
0: Thank you so much. Well, I just wanted to say one
1: thing. Yeah, Chip. In terms of scaling up, we are very open. Um, uh, One of our friends of WRI has asked, why aren't we doing this for pianos? We're interested
0: in scaling up to cellos, bass fiddles, pianos, and other things as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you could have a whole encyclopedia. Um, Just with guitars alone, you've got six different woods (laughs) that you have looked at. I, I imagine there's a whole range of other woods that could come about in the sustainable musical instrument business. This is the World Resources Institute podcast. We've got something a little special this time for our end of the show. Uh, I've been saying that Chip is not only a specialist in illegal logging and the prevention of illegal logging, but a musician as well. I want to invite Chip to serenade us on our outs. My guests today have been Chip Barber, the director of the Forest Legality Initiative at WRI, and Austin Close, the Tone Woods specialist in the Forest Legality Initiative. Thank you both.